Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading is found in the book of Romans, chapter 6, verses 5 through 11. Let us read. For we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we will no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the blessing of your word and what it teaches us, Lord. We thank you, O God, that it has made us alive in you through the promises and through the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. As Pastor preaches right now, Lord Father, we ask that your word may be, be made alive and reach out to those, Lord Father, who are in need right now, especially during these times, O God. We thank you all in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. What do you expect sinners to do but sin? Let me say that again. What do you expect sinners to do but sin? A sinful, perhaps racist police officer knelt on the neck of a man for over eight minutes and killed him. While two of his fellow officers also knelt on him and one stood by watching, doing nothing. It's unconscionable. And yet, what do you expect sinners to do but sin? Thousands of rioters poured out into the streets of America's community, destroying homes, killing and maiming people setting cars and buildings on fire, including churches. Hundreds of police officers and Secret Service agents injured and some killed in the rioting. But what do you expect sinners to do but sin? Nearly 700,000 babies were aborted last year here in the United States. The most racist act in our country. Most came at the hands of Planned Parenthood, that racist community of killers. The highest number of abortions occurred right here in New York State. 70% being people of color. But what do you expect sinners to do but sin? 400,000 people are trafficked in the United States each year. The United States is listed as the top five of all trafficking countries. The trafficking hotline here in the United States receives 150 calls a day about trafficking incidents. But what do you expect sinners to do but sin? I'm not here to exaggerate or to minimize the issues that are facing our country, our city, and even the world today. If Jesus Christ walked the streets of our city, he would be weeping for us just as he was as he wept over Jerusalem so long ago. However, he would not be marching with the rioters. He would not be kneeling on the neck of a man, resulting in his death. He would not point out one injustice over another. And how do I know this? Because Jesus lived in a nation and a city under worse conditions than what we face today. 
The Roman government was a cruel overload. They, Lord, they, they crucified literally hundreds of Jews simply because the Jews were protesting the bringing of the bust of Caesar that was to be placed in the temple in Jerusalem. And on the other side, there were the zealots, men and women who hated the Roman oppression and killed Roman soldiers. They often led riots, as Acts 4 testifies. Then how about the zealot Barnabas or Barabbas? Barabbas ends up going free while Jesus is crucified. And look at how often Paul, Barnabas, Silas, Stephen, and other Christians endured persecution, stonings, riots, and death as recorded in the scriptures. All because they had a different philosophy of life, a different religious persuasion. No, it wasn't about race, but it was about a difference in a religious view. Yet not once do we find Jesus or the apostles on the streets protesting or joining the zealots. Nor is there anywhere in the New Testament teaching where such actions are encouraged. Actually, the opposite is true. The scripture says to pray for those who despitefully use you, to, to pray for our government leaders, to bless those who persecute you. Can you point out any place in the New Testament that Christians are taught any other approach to injustice or rebellion? Do you know why you won't find such teachings? Oh, it's not because Jesus or the apostles were pacifists. Jesus warned the disciples before his crucifixion to go out and buy swords so that they might have a form of self-defense. Paul cried out in the Sanhedrin about the resurrection because he knew that it would lead to conflict within that Sanhedrin and he would be able to escape. Jesus overturned the, the tables in the temple and drove the people out of the temple with a whip. No, Jesus and the apostles were not pacifists. But they understood two very critical points. First, they understood that they were citizens of another kingdom. The enemies that they were facing were not enemies that were flesh and blood. They were spiritual powers. And so they set themselves to battle those spiritual powers. Jesus could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and to set him free instead of going to the cross. Instead, he called on his father to forgive those who would trust in him because they didn't know what they were doing. The second thing that they understood was that the only thing that sinners can do is sin. That's right. The only thing sinners can do is sin. The sons and daughters of Adam are slaves to sin. And they need to be set free from that slavery. Human trafficking is not something that's new. It began when Adam first rebelled against God. From that moment on, all of humanity became slaves of sin. And the only weapon against the slavery of humanity in its sinfulness is the gospel and the cross. And so I want you to think about this today as we look at this passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Or, I'm sorry, verses 5 through 11. That the only means of bringing peace to a world in turmoil 
like we are experiencing now, comes through new life in Christ. You see, how can anyone who is a sinner stop sinning? Only one way. By dying. That's what we've learned in the past six chapters here in the book of Romans. Sinners can't do anything but sin. Prejudice, hatred, anger, rioting. It's part of the human nature in rebellion against God. And whether they're religious sinners or whether they're barbarian sinners, all humanity without Jesus Christ are sinners. Now, I emphasize that because it is true. All you have to do is read Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3, and you'll see the reality of that. All has sinned, and all continue to sin, except Christians. Oh, not people who call themselves Christians. There are many who are what we would call a false Christian. They made a false profession of faith. But I'm talking about true Christians. And why is it that true Christians cannot continue to sin? I want you to notice our status in death. See, only a dead person can be set free from the power of sin. And all true Christians are dead. Dead to racial prejudice. Dead to sinful reactions to it. You don't believe me? Listen to what we see in Romans chapter 6, verse 2. By no means... How can we who are dead to sin still live in it? You see, Christians have died. Oh, yes, many have died physically as, as martyrs, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about something that's far more significant than physical death. And so as we look at this thought, I want you to consider that through the new life in Christ, we are crucified. Now, that's not just a symbolic thought. Let me remind you of the first Adam. God told him, on the day that you eat of the fruit of this tree, you will die. Adam ate. There was no lightning bolt that came down and struck him down. There was no death angel that came down with his sword ready to chop off Adam's head. So people conclude that God was talking about a spiritual death, not the physical death. That he died, as some theologians would say, he died symbolically. But they're wrong. For the sword of God descended that day in the Garden of Eden and took a physical life. The life of an animal. A sacrifice given in place of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve would one day physically die, but, but that death would be the result of living in a cursed world. But on the day that they sinned, there was an actual death. It came in a very real way through that animal sacrifice. Yes, Adam and Eve, in a sense, died that day. You know, that's what happened for the Christian when Jesus hung on that cross we see that in verse 6 of our text. It says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. By faith in the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ, every Christian, past, present, and future, died in proxy 
in the person of Jesus Christ. Therefore, notice, through this new life in Christ, we are also justified. We are crucified with him, and we are justified through him. You see, without death, no sinner can be set free. Sin must be punished, and that punishment is complete and total death, physical and spiritual. So, as Romans 4, verse 25 tells us, Jesus was delivered up to death on the cross for our transgressions. Don't let anyone tell you that your death with Jesus is, is simply symbolic. No, it was real. The sinner died. The, the human son as of Adam died. For without death, there is no resurrection. Listen to verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. That, that word there that, that has been set free, that's the word justified. I often hear Christians say things like, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, no, you're not. Don't ever say such a thing. You are a saint that's been saved by grace. And don't excuse your sinful behavior by that cliche. I'm not perfect, just forgiven. No, you ought to be saying, I'm forgiven and being perfected in Christ. Jesus Christ died and you died in him for your transgressions. But he was raised for your justification. See, the power of the cross is not in the grave, but in the resurrection. In his death, your penalty was met. Justice was served. You died with Christ to sin's power, to the guilt of sin, to sin's punishment. But on that third day, when up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes, death was defeated because sin was defeated. You see, death is a direct result of sin. For in one man sin entered the world and death through sin. We read back in Romans 5. But through one man, the last and final Adam, came life. So I, as we look at this, and we see that we are crucified with Christ, we are justified with Christ, I also want you to notice that through the new life in Christ, we're not only crucified and justified, but we are sanctified. Now, sanctified does not mean that we are made perfect or that somehow we are sinless. No, it means that we have been set apart from what we were into a new life. By faith, you're born again, transformed from death to life, leaving behind the old Adam and becoming new in Jesus Christ. How glorious then to read those words that we see in verse 9. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So say goodbye, death. The lion's teeth were pulled. The scorpion's stinger removed. The poison of the asp is nullified. And in his resurrection, there came new life, new power, a new way. Why do you think it is that the people of the, the early church were called the people of the way? 
It was a new way, a new direction, a new life. For in Christ we've left the labyrinth of death. And we've entered the way of life. Born again. The old is gone. The new has come. So far, Pastor Chris has helped us understand that through this new life in Jesus Christ, we have been crucified, justified, and sanctified. As you have listened, maybe what he has said raised questions in your mind. I want to encourage you to ask those questions in the comment, se comment section on Facebook, or you may contact us directly by email at metbaptist@outlook.com, or write us at Metropolitan Baptist Church, 1624 84th Street, Brooklyn, New York, 11214. You may also view past messages on our website, www.metbaptist.com. If you need a Bible, you may request a free copy by email or letter. Let me briefly remind the members and friends of Metropolitan to support our church ministry through online giving on our website. We especially need your support at this time as we prepare to reopen the church building. Now, let's return to the message already in progress. Therefore, notice our new status in Christ. You see, we may be an infant in Christ. You might be a, a full-grown spiritual adult. But no matter where you are in your walk of life, you're no longer citizens of this world. Oh, you may have an address in Brooklyn or Staten Island. You, you might have an address in Pennsylvania or Switzerland. But you're no longer a citizen of that state or that nation. You may have been born a Latino, a Caucasian, a Jew, an African American, a Native American, or any other physical ethnicity. But you can no longer claim that as your status. You belong to Christ, to his kingdom to his ethnicity. As verse 8 states, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. <laughs> I ask you, my friends, where does Christ live? I know some will answer me, well, he lives in me. But let me suggest that Christ is only in you because you are in him. And where is he right now? The Bible says that he is seated in the heavenlies and that if you're in Christ, you are seated with him. <clears throat> so we have to, to recognize that we are no longer in this world as citizens of this world. We have a responsibility to live in this world and to, to care about what's going on in this world. But we do so as citizens of heaven. Notice then, through the new life that we have in Christ, we are unified. We are one with him, united with him in his death and raised with him in his resurrection. That's what verse 5 declares. It says we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. If we were united with him in his death, we are united with him in his resurrection. Now we know, as Martha spoke with Jesus that we will rise 
on that final day when Christ returns. When the dead rise up with Christ from the grave. And I can't hardly wait for that. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. But Jesus spoke a very powerful word to Martha after she said that. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. You see, by faith in Jesus Christ, we not only will one day have eternal life off there in the future, but we now have eternal life. Not only you and me, but every believer on this planet and all who have ever lived or ever will live after us who have trusted in Christ. We are made one in him, by him, and through him. And that's why there is no longer male or female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile. And can I dare to say, in the midst of all that's happening today, there is no longer black or brown or white or red or yellow. When we stand before God, he's not going to ask us our ethnic background. He will not give preference to any sex, male or female. He will instead welcome prodigals home and throw a feast with the angels and the church of all ages. All is one, gathered together in that grand and wonderful privilege to worship God. And so as we examine this, then let's notice that through the new life in Christ, we are vivified. We are unified. We are vivified. Vivified is a, it's a beautiful word. It means to animate something, to, to bring something to life, to cause life to flow. So many professing Christians act instead as if they're the living dead. They profess life, but they look like death. And they live like it as well. Where is the power over death and sin? In a somewhat recent movie, Superman dies. Then, as movie makers alone can do, he is brought back to life in another movie. And when he comes back to life, he comes back with the same powers, the same strength, the same abilities. He's not a living dead. And isn't that really what Paul meant when he wrote in verse 9, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Are you certain that that man who was beaten, scourged, crucified, dead and buried, that he hadn't just swooned? Did he really come back from the dead? Do you you believe that he did? Yes, most of us will declare. Well, when he came back, he did not come back with just the powers that he had when he died. He came back with the powers that he had from eternity past as the eternal son of God, the one who is able to give life to the dead. And if that's true, and you are united with him in his resurrection, then how can you go on living in sin as before. He has given you new life, new power, new vision, new hope, new purpose. You have been vivified, animated. New life has been breathed into your dead spirit. Then live 
live, live in Christ. And if you do so, you'll need to notice that through this new life in Christ, we are also glorified. We are also glorified, unified, brought together with Christ and with all of his people, vivified, animated to new life, and glorified. But I'm not speaking about that glorification that's going to happen when we enter into heaven, where we will have been made perfect without sin or without the desire to sin. No, we're not going to reach that grand truth until we hit Romans chapter 8. What I mean is that through this new life, the glory of the image of God is being restored to us. You see, Adam lost that glory when he rebelled. The image of God was twisted and damaged. God had created mankind as his image bearers to reflect his image and his likeness in this world. However, in Christ, that mirror that was broken is now being restored so that once again, you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, might begin to reflect the glory of our Father once again. His true glory. Listen to verse 10. It says, For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Oh, not for God, but to God. He has a heart that's united to the heart of God. It's talking about Jesus Christ. But with all of us united with Jesus Christ, given the life of Christ flowing through us, then in all of that, we now can glorify God. By faith, we share that image, that likeness of our brother Jesus Christ. And we live to God's glory. Let me draw your attention to our final status. For by faith in Jesus Christ, we've come to understand our status in death. We've also seen our status in Christ. But now, let me join with Paul in opening up our status in life. We began the study by asking, what do you expect sinners to do but sin? Now, that's not excuse-making. Chapter 1 declared that every human being is without excuse when they sin. It's simply a statement of fact. Sinners sin. But now let me ask you, since we've examined our status in death to sin and in Christ, what do you expect saints to do? Do you expect saints to do the same things that they were doing before when they were sinners? Did nothing change? Are we still enslaved to sin? No hope except someday, maybe when we die, or when Jesus returns, we'll fly off to glory. Are we still stuck in that quagmire being sucked down into the depths of despair? God forbid, Paul says. Instead, let the reality of this new life settle into you. If all that we have said is true, then so is verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Jesus Christ. Wow. 
You know, Paul puts it a little bit differently in Romans 12. He, he fixes the words a bit and gives them more life. When he writes, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In other words, what he's saying is we need to open our eyes of our mind to the reality of what it is to be living in Christ, to have sin died and to have that new resurrection power and life of Jesus Christ within us. We need to open our eyes and our minds to grasp the truth of what is being talked about here in Romans chapter 6. Think of it this way. A slave has been set free. He can stand before his master then, his former master. And when that master gives him a command, he can say no. He doesn't have to do it any longer. He is now free. But sometimes he forgets. Sometimes as that slave, he may begin to obey the former master's command. But then when the mind kicks in and he realizes, wait a minute, I am no longer a slave. I am a man who is free. Then he doesn't have to cower any longer in obedience. And you, my friend, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are free. You're free from sin's power. You're free from the guilt of sin. You're free from the condemnation of sin. You no longer belong to that old Adam life. You now belong to Christ and his life. Then live in that reality. Live in that hope. Live as citizens of the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of this world. Oh yes, there are many evils that are happening in the world around us. We see them projected onto our television screens day after day. We watched in horror as that policeman knelt on the neck of George Floyd. And all of us wept seeing such evil in that man's eyes. How horrible. And to know that that is not the only time that that has happened. But there are other injustices perpetrated by government, even by police officers. And we understand that that is great sin. We also weep over our cities and towns being destroyed. Homes destroyed and burnt. Churches lit on fire. Businesses. Businesses that have been part of the communities for years torn apart. And we look at that and we weep. We join with Jesus and weep over the sin of this world, recognizing the unrighteousness and the wickedness of men. And we say, oh God, when will justice be done? And at that moment, with Habakkuk, as we sit up in our little tower and we look and we wait for God's justice, we begin to realize that God's justice begins first in the house of God. How are we living 
Are we living for the glory of God? Has the new life of Christ changed the way that we think so that we view this world differently? Do we understand that it is not flesh and blood that we battle against, but it is principalities and powers in this present darkness? Do we get on our knees and do we seek God's peace in our hearts before we begin to speak about peace for the nation? That's the reality that God calls us into. To stand as Christians living out the life of Christ and knowing that the only thing that changes any heart is the power of the gospel that puts to death sin so that we can live in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And so, as I conclude this message, I just have a statement for us to consider. That the miracle of God's grace, and let me remind you of that grace, Sean talked about it last week. Grace stands for grafted into Christ. Grafted into him, living in him. So that the reign of sin is over And Adam is no longer our federal head. Christ is our federal head who gives us eternal life. G-R-A-C-E. Grafted in Christ. Reign of sin over Adam, not our federal head. Christ is our federal head. And he gives us eternal life. That miracle of God's grace through this new life in Jesus Christ that should bring tears of joy to our eyes, hope to our spirits, love to our hearts, and a passion for God's glory. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, what in the world is happening? What is going on that would make someone so hate another individual that they would purposefully put him to death. What is going on in this world that in reaction to a man's murder, we would murder others and destroy the property of our own towns and our own communities? And what, oh God, is happening in a world where we are wiping out a whole race of people through abortion and sex trafficking and child trafficking. Oh God, what kind of a world do we live in? We know it is a world in rebellion against you. But there is hope for this world. It is your life that you want to give to all who will call upon the name of Jesus Christ. And so we ask you, oh God, to open, first of all, the eyes of your church, that we would see that we are citizens of a greater kingdom, a kingdom of righteousness, of truth, of justice, and of hope. And as citizens of that kingdom, that we would call men, women, boys, and girls to come to Jesus Christ, that they too might move out of the pig pen 
of life. As prodigals rebelling against God. And instead they would come and become children of God. We ask this, Lord God, for we know that the only hope for this world is Christ. It is in his name then that we pray. Amen.